It's the 8th of May. I know because it's my birthday. Uh, we're going to party like it's your birthday. And indeed, we're going to drink Bacardi like it's your birthday. It's episode 153 of the Scottish Liberty Podcast. Happy birthday to Tam. I personally... Uh, have seen a lot of major developments happening with this coronavirus lockdown, not least being moved on by cops last night when I was 7.15 bathing in the Scottish sunlight. It was the night before last, actually. You were not naked, even... though. <laughs> In fairness. <laughs> uh, see, you know, see that's, that's how propaganda works. I chose to okay. omit that detail. Um, I was sunbathing at 7.15. There was no one else there in uh, sunbathing. During the day, there were a bunch of people on the lawn. I know because I took an illegal walk. I took more than one walk. And uh, the cop came down on his bike and said, can I move you on, sir? And I was like, yeah, all right. I thought he was closing the park down. But no, he was just moving me on. So our guest today is Michael Cheney. He of The Michael Cheney Show and his coverage of the coronavirus and the lockdown has been nothing short of extraordinary. He's been pumping up material, pumping out material, and just really well researched, hitting so many major points. Uh, I'm glad that there, there, there's someone who's got time to do all this, so he's kind enough to join us. Thanks for coming on, Michael. Oh, you're very welcome. I, I like uh, getting the word out about this stuff, so no, it's good to be here. Right. So I don't know. I guess we could start with some basics, <laughs> like just a, a, a quick rundown of some of the ways that Corona figures have been massaged, because that was one of the things that you, because this informs everything else that we're going to talk about today. Hopefully we won't get taken down from YouTube from point, for pointing out the fact. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that that's really where this all started for me, was looking at the numbers and trying to uh, you know, there's lots of people out there that are talking about conspiracies and trying to come up with wild theories. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in the origin of the virus particularly or who's done it or whatever. I'm more looking at what what is actually happening in terms of, of deaths. What is the government response around the world? And is this justified or, you know, should something different be happening? Um, and like everyone else, I know, you know, we kind of read what we find. We do a bit of research. But as you say, I've got time because I'm, you know, a full-time podcaster, YouTuber, you know, online, I run an online business, have done for 20 years. So I'm uh, able to devote a lot of time to this. So that's really how it started, really just as a member of the public. I just thought, what's going on? But I started, the, the deeper I got into this, the more I found out. So in terms of the deaths, there's a lot of things now that have come out that are, that used to be kind of a conspiracy theory, but are now just a, a fact. Um, for example, the way that they measure deaths, okay? Um, in the US, for example, um, and I guess in also in the UK, there are, the doctors have been put uh, under some pressure to um, measure people or put people as a COVID death on the death certificate. Yeah. They don't have to test even for COVID-19 in the US in order to put it down as a COVID-19 death on a death certificate. There needs to be a suspicion um, but you've also got to remember that they do get paid more money. Hospitals will get $19,000 in the US if they admit a patient who has COVID-19 and $39,000 if that patient is put on a, vent a ventilator. 
So there is a financial uh, motivation for them to, to do that. Right. Um, and that's the, from Medicare or Medicaid. They're getting paid out these right. huge sums of money right. from. So basically they might put someone on a ventilator that doesn't need one just to get an extra $20,000. It's shocking. Yeah, they could be doing that. They could be doing that. Um, I mean, there was a piece I found. It was from Dr. John Lee. This was in The Spectator. And he was talking about Professor Neil Ferguson, right. who, as we all know, is, uh, you know. The doctor pre- of love. <laughs> professor, professor Lockdown, who is now yeah. Yeah, Professor Lovedown. Um, <laughs> obviously, we should all be locked down, but but he's not. Yeah. Um, but anyway, when he came out with the the report that was really the basis for all of this with Imperial College London, it wasn't a peer peer reviewed report, which as we all know, any kind of, you know, kindergarten kid knows that if you haven't got a peer reviewed scientific paper, it's not worth Jack, you know, but it wasn't peer reviewed. It came out. He initially said 500,000 people will die in in the UK. One day after um, social distancing, he changed that to 20,000. There's no way that one day's worth of social distancing had that impact on the model. So, don't know what was going on there but even when he was pulled in front of um parliament he said this is neil ferguson himself said um that two-thirds of the number of covid19 deaths in the uk would have actually died anyway so that's by his admission this is not you know some tinfoil hat guy this is the main guy that created the model is saying that you know two-thirds of the the figures that we're seeing are people that would have died anyway Mm. the other thing is they're never telling us people have died from covid19 it's always with covid19 it's like you know this person died with skin well yeah everybody dies with skin unless they're in a really bad accident but you know do they die because of that you know yeah um and in italy i just i saw this video just uh yesterday from a politician um standing up in italy and he was basically getting sick of this and calling it out as well. Um, this was, I'm just trying to find this guy's name rather than just rattling it off. Um, this was, uh, damn, what the guy is, the guy's name? Oh, Vict- Vittorio Scarbi. And he stood up in Parliament in Italy and basically said, no, this is all lies. It's not 25,000 people that have died. He said 96.3% did not die of coronavirus. They had other pathologies. Wow, yeah. So yeah. he's saying only, only 925 in Italy died from the virus. Yeah. You know, they all had, almost all of them had underlying causes. Yeah. So that was really the, the linchpin to all of this is, you know, because the, the measures that have been put in place are totally, as they keep telling us, unprecedented. They'd never before seen, obviously, massive infringement on all of our liberties for pr- practically everybody around the world. And it's based on science that is inaccurate and incomplete and sometimes just not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, uh, and, uh, and meanwhile, I mean, what 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 baffles me about the whole thing is, if somebody had have said two months ago, at the start of this thing, we are going to subject every immigrant and every person who comes into the country on a flight or a boat, we're going to subject them to these lockdown measures. People would have went nuts and went, "That's an absolute infringement of these people's human liberties." You get no. Uh, you, you've got no evidence that this is going to help, blah, blah, blah. But because it just affected us all, apart from the people who were coming in in airplanes, apparently there's flights coming into Heathrow every day with people right. on it, and nobody was testing them. They were just getting onto public transport and you know, advised to, to, to go into their own personal lockdown. And you think, 
this is all very, very weird. Yeah, what's what's the truth of this whole thing? And like you say, the figures, I don't think anybody trusts the stats. Um, I mean, stats are open to manipulation anyway, but in this particular case, even in my own circles and experience, so extended family, very few people have had it or knows somebody's had it. Or maybe they have, because everybody's had a weird headache or, you know, or, or something at any given time, you've had maybe mm. one of the many symptoms. And you could have had it in a mild form and, and, and nobody knows. But nobody, my entire family's not keeling over one after another, uh, you know, thank God. And that kind of tells me itself, you know, this is, this is not as severe as the stats they're manipulating, you know, make out. And they never ever say, uh, they never ever put it in perspective, they go, okay, the, the deaths are such and such, that's one per every hundred thousand. Or that six per every, you know, they never ever put it in perspective. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, you, you got to realize, I think it's around 800 people die on average every day in the UK anyway. Yeah. So when they're hitting us with these figures, we've got to think, take that with a pinch of salt and realize that most of these have underlying conditions. You know, yeah. most of these people have some kind of, you know, they're, they're old age or they've got some kind of serious condition going on anyway. So they would have died anyway. They would have been part of that 800. Yeah. Um, and what, you know, a lot of doctors are saying, there's a, a doctor, again, I saw a video just yesterday from a doctor in, um, I think it was Riverside County in California in the US, standing outside his hospital and basically saying, this is no worse than a bad uh, season yeah. of the flu. And a, a lot of doctors have come out and said that. It's not yeah. nothing. It does mm -hmm. exist. And yes, it is yeah. killing people, unfortunately. Yeah. But it's nothing like what they're saying. Um, and even if you take the numbers and even if you actually swallow the pill of, okay, let's say that all of these people that they're telling us every day, you know, the accumulative total, let's say they've all died because of COVID mm -hmm. as a percentage of the population, it's still microscopic, you know, yeah. the chances of, of falling into that category is t so, so tiny anyway. Yeah. And, and yet we know a whole bunch of those numbers are not people that have died because of it. They just happen to yeah. have had it and died from someone else. So what's behind this, Michael? I mean, it's easy to get conspiratorial, but I mean, I, I kind of tend to believe that maxim of never put down to conspiracy what you can equally put down to incompetence. Um, is it just, was it just sheer panic? Did Boris, you know, just after this report came out, did he start thinking, oh God, you know, I don't want to, you know, did he do a Thatcher and just blink under, under pressure? Or is there, is there something more behind this is are they is it a massive experiment to see just how much we'll put up with you know before we we get sick of it i mean we kind of obviously getting into by you know by nature of the yeah. question we're kind of getting to sort yeah. of the conspiracy type stuff and you know i don't tend to do that but i can certainly yeah. play the game i mean my my belief on this is that if you see how other countries are reacting there's not a lot of difference in terms of how governments are reacting to this they're all over the top. I mean, I think pretty much Sweden is probably the only country that I've heard of in the world yeah. that's not going absolutely tyrannical on this, you know, yeah. and locking down and, you know, putting people out of business. And, you know, you can certainly, there's a lot of dots that you could join. I mean, you know, we could maybe talk about, you know, the World Health Organization and We're the funding there. Yeah. Obviously, the, you know, Big Pharma, you know, Bill Gates. You've then got the move to uh, censorship, 
surveillance that they're now rolling out. You know, we've got these mobile phone apps now that they're getting you to install so they can track all your movements, allegedly to trace uh, this deadly, deadly virus. We've got the move towards um, a digital currency away from money. That even came out as part of the pandemic. Oh, don't use cash. You can't use cash yeah. anymore. Yeah. You know, so getting us used to this idea that it will be this social credit system where they'll be able to see wherever you go. You can't, you know, you won't be able to just walk down to the shops and buy a loaf of bread with cash and be anonymous. You know, everything's yeah. going to be traced and tracked. So I don't, I mean, I think there's, I think there's something bigger going on that whether or not it's planned, I'm not quite sure, but I think, yeah. I don't think the virus it's such as planned or the release of it, I don't believe was planned. But I think the measures that we're seeing definitely were planned. And there's, there's definitely evidence as well that we can talk about if we've got time that they knew this type of thing was coming. And that, you know, they've spoken about lockdowns and yeah. quarantines for, you know, for 20 years and, you know, social distancing. These are not new things. These are going on in their sort of war games for like 20 years or so. Yeah. Right. So, well, you, yeah. You wouldn't have to think that um, say 9-11 was an inside job to believe that the project for a new American century, people, Dick Cheney, Rumsfeld, all that took advantage of 9-11 to further agendas that they'd already said they were in favor of already. Um, yeah. Definitely when people are uh, afraid they acquiesce a lot of control to the authorities. And I'm always astonished how very lefty people, when I was growing up, the left used to see themselves as very anti-establishment. But I can't see apart from complaining about the Tories every five minutes, they're not basically for the establishment. Whenever anything happens, all I see them is, uh, uh, all I see is left-wing people defending the party line. Um, on the, the other side of the coin to what you were saying about COVID deaths being exaggerated or figures being massaged, as you did a very informative podcast called The Lockdown is Killing People, I think. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that, the other side of the coin? Because we're not getting a cost-benefit analysis yeah. here. Um, what is seen of, and what is unseen. Yeah, exactly. We're always being presented, well, you know, either tons of people will die or we lock people down and people don't die. Uh, and that's not really the reality of the situation. The fact is, um, as, you, as you put it, the lockdown is killing people. Could you tell us a little bit about the main points of that? Yeah, so they were, yeah, it's became this whole mantra, isn't, didn't it? If, we could, if, if it saves just one life, you know, like, like there's no repercussions of, of any of this, yeah, you know? Yeah. And, that, and that's really how it started out. Oh, if, if it saves one life, it's worth it. And you think, well, wait a second, what? what is all of this actually doing, you know, because as soon as yeah. you, you know, it's the whole butterfly effect, you know, if you make a small change somewhere, it's going to affect some, this is like the biggest change the planet's ever seen. So, um, the lockdown's only part of it. So yeah, I did, as you say, I did a, um, I did a full, uh, full episode all about that. Um, there's been lots of research done into things like, uh, domestic abuse, uh, seems to be on the increase. Suicides, obviously, depression, mental health. Um, people are dying because they're not going to hospital. Um, yeah. So there was a study done in Austria, um, and they basically showed in this certain time frame that there were more deaths. Um, I don't know what the time frame was, but it, it, I mean, it was a week or two weeks. 
but there were more deaths in that period from people with heart-related issues not going to hospital than there were from COVID-19 deaths that had actually created the fear and and the the sense of not wanting to go to hospital because they catch COVID anyway. So there's that going on. We're never going to know. That's that's part of the frustration about this. We're never going to know this stuff, you know. Yeah. How are the how are we ever going to look back and say, oh yeah, you know the, the suicides have gone up, or you know this was the knock-on effect of the you know the economic downturn? I mean, one of the big things they are able to look at is the, um, you know the number of people that had died uh, as a result of the last uh, economic downturn. I mean, just from this is just from cancer deaths. So it sounds kind of weird, like how could you link cancer deaths to an economic downturn? But there was a study done. Stress. Um, Sorry, what's that? Stress, I guess. Well, yeah, stress directly, but there's also apparently a lack of access to um, to medical care, particularly in the US, where obviously you've got to pay for it. But they had, they came up. This study came up with the um, this was an organisation for economic cooperation and development, and basically suggested in the last economic crisis there were 260,000 excess cancer deaths. So these were avoidable deaths. Mm. Uh, from cancer, 260,000 during 2008 period. Now, if you've looked at the the figures that were just released yesterday, I think it was, or day before, that we're now in the worst recession, or will be in the worst recession since the the 1700s. Yeah. And it showed you the little downturn. You had all the, you know, the little green bars where it was a good year, and then obviously red bars where it was a recession. You know, you had this tiny little blip for 2008, which resulted in 260,000 people mm. dying on, uh, avoidably from cancer. That now it's it was like it was off the chart. I mean, you know, that that downturn is just like a blip compared to what we're at now. And and they yeah. basically equated this downturn, and every um, you get the figure here. It was every one percent increase in unemployment is associated with 0.37 additional cancer deaths per 100,000 people. So if you equate this to the US, take the unemployment rate from October 2019, which is 3.6%, take it to where they think it could get, and it's not far off, which could get to 47 million in second quarter of this year. That would be 32%. Um, So we take the difference of that, that'd be the increase, and then we use that, that figure 0.37 0.37 for every 100,000 people for every 1%. That's going to, that's going to create at least 33,000 uh, cancer deaths in the US as a result of the... Mm. And that's just, that's just like one disease. doesn't count stress, doesn't yeah, count right, suicides, right. domestic abuse, all the mental health issues that go with it and, and everything else. And, and we, we've okay. not seen what the negative effect on people's lives is going to be after the lockdown's lifted and the chickens really come home to roost. It's interesting because the US Office of Management and Budget puts the value of a human life in the range of $7 million to $9 million. Nice to know you're worth so much, the government. I've got to be at least worth twice that. Really. Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing is I think the charities, uh, the the... Um, effective altruism movement was saying that you could save a life in Africa for three thousand six hundred dollars uh, donation. So uh, the US a US person's life is worth. Looks like Whitey's <laughs> priced himself out of the market again. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I, yeah, but, but, just... but just just before you go yeah. on, I just want to say, how do you value? How do you put? A, that's quite an arbitrary figure, but how do you put the value 
on being able to walk down to your local and have a coffee and work on your emails? How, how do you put a value on being able to go and visit your friends? How do you yeah. put a value on going to the park and lying down without being moved on by the cops, right? It, it, it's very, very hard to evaluate the death by a million cuts that people are suffering due to these government impositions and compare, comparing a cost-benefit analysis. You were saying, Tom? Yeah, I was just going to, just briefly on the cancer thing again. Uh, uh, to my knowledge, the UK as a whole is pretty poor at um, diagnosing, you know, targeting diagnosing and treating cancer anyway. I think with the lockdown period, with people not going to hospital, they're not going to catch those, you know, they're pretty poor at doing it anyway, but they're not going to catch those early signals. So maybe people will be in advanced stages or relatively uh, advanced stages by the time they, they recognize that they've got cancer. So it doesn't really surprise me that things like this could, could impact on, uh, on, on cancer deaths. There's, there's so much, I mean, even just not having human contact. I mean, some of us cope with it better than others, but there are some people who it's actually a physical need for them. They need uh, human contact and that in itself can be a stressful thing for them. Well, that's it. I mean, particularly the, you know, the elderly, they're trying to yeah. protect from all this. I mean, you know, I've got a neighbor, she's in her 80s, she's on her own, you know, her siblings have died and, you know, we're, we're trying to help out as all the neighbors are, but she can't get out. Obviously, she doesn't want to go out. She's terrified. So she can't get to a little Scrabble club and a book club and, you know, she can't go out in a car. Yeah. She normally takes a yeah. drive and she can't do that. And you've got to think it These is... These are the last years of her life. These exactly. are the last years of her yeah. life. Yeah, you know, I've seen I've seen a doctor speaking about as a, a doctor over in Germany speaking about this and saying that it, it is going to, you know, it's going to reduce the longevity of older people uh, across the board. You know, regardless of whether they get COVID that, that, or not. That would, yeah, that would seem to be a, you know I don't need a medical degree to, to right. kind of to see that, and that it's noticeable also for about the last five years anyway. I mean, Anthony, you you know all about this. You know, the government newspapers, media, I've been telling us all about mental health, how important mental health is, you know, and like, you can't, you know, are you taking care of your mental health? How about your neighbor? Check their mental health, and it's really important. Suddenly, mental health is completely out the window, you know, with the, with the lockdown, yeah. because I, I would think anybody who did have, you know, depression or some sort of mental health issue like that before the lockdown, you know, they're going to have increased paranoia. They're terrified of their own hands. You know, your, your, your own hands are out to get you. You've got to wash them every 30 seconds or you'll die. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Well, it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be a tidal wave, I think, of people that have got exacerbated issues after this yeah. uh, and people that have got new mental health problems that they didn't have before, you know, because it's, yeah. it's not easy. I mean, you know, we're kind of maybe used to doing it more, you know, if we're working from home and, you know, in the sort of the podcast mindset and, you know, just locking ourselves away anyway. I mean, yeah. for me, day to day, it's not that different at the moment, other than the fact that the kids are always around and I can't go quite as far as I used to, as right. often as I used to. But yeah, there'll be some people that this is, you know, they're going to have kind of trauma from this, you know, it's going to sure. be a period they'll look back on and like, they won't be the same. You know, it's not going to yeah. be a, you know, even if everything was lifted today, people aren't suddenly going to go out. There'll be people that never recover from this and always kind of have that fear or that distrust of social environments or being close to people, whatever, you know, it's, and as you said, yeah. you can't put a, 
you can't gauge that and, and nor you know nor can you put a price on you know these little things you say like yeah. going outside or taking a walk going wherever you want and not having to worry about looking over your shoulder in case somebody's snitching on you for going out twice a day or whatever you know it's yeah. crazy and the and the fact that it's indefinite as well you know there's no it's not like we're going to lock you down for six weeks and that'll be the end of it so everybody knows there's, the, there's a def- definite moment where it's all going to come to an end and that's okay you can prepare for that but when it's week in week out and you go there, there doesn't seem to be any end of this you know what does victory look like in this thing well that's it i mean they're just they're constantly telling us they've i mean they've done that right from the beginning it's always been uh you know here's the latest measure however it could get worse than this you know this is just yep. what we're doing right now if it gets worse we might have to do x y so it was always like right so you always had this like threat it was you know, we'll, we'll ask you, first we'll ask you to do something, then we'll tell you to do something, and, now, and then we'll force you to do something. And that's where we're at at the moment. We're starting to see it, shoots of kind of resistance, uh, particularly in the US. I mean, you see more and more yeah. people protesting, people getting arrested. I mean, you know, a salon owner thrown in jail because she kept her business open. Um, you know, armed militias going around trying to help people keep their businesses open. So it's entered now that phase of resistance um, and obviously eventually it could come to conflict if it's not, you know, if it's not eased off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that unending sort of cycle to it, I think is, 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 you know, is draining, you know, it's psychologically draining and disorientating. It does feel almost like, a, um, you know, like a Guantanamo Bay sort of, uh, you know, yeah. it's like, it's, oh, uh, we're, not, we're not telling you when this is going to end, you know, it's, a, it's mm. an SAS kind of, <laughs> Tactic yeah. 101, right? It's you yeah. don't know how long this is going to go on for until the the cricket keeper or whatever he's called, wicket keeper, turns up and yeah. says, Oh, it's the end of the experiment. You're like, oh, thank, you know, it's an <laughs> episode in Black Mirror, right? Yeah, so I want to talk about some of the other funny businesses going on because just recently YouTube announced and maybe some other platforms that they're going to basically take anything down that questions the. Well, World Health Organization's official line right. on coronavirus. Now, this is really that super scary. Of truth and accuracy. Because you yeah. want to have only one line and no one's allowed to question it. Is the WHO infallible, Michael? Um, infallible? No. No. Oh. I mean, I, okay. I did They're some... not even very good. They're <laughs> infallible. <laughs> Okay, no, so I mean, wait, wait, wait. Let me ask you another co- couple of questions. Is it impartial? No. Is it, is it, has it shown itself to be trustworthy? No. Does it have any sources of funding that might lead one to think that it might be making statements in the interests of um, something other than the public interest? I think it's doing anything apart from the public interest. I mean, that, you know, that's, that's why it exists. I mean, I, I did some digging into this and I was, I was literally swearing out loud as I was doing it. I was like, holy, I, it was like, I can't believe I'm finding this stuff. So basically it's all publicly available stuff. Again, this is not theory that I'm making up. It's not a hunch. It's, it's just fact. So I went into the, the last available report for the World Health Organization in terms of where its money comes from. Cause of course it's funded, gets its money from government, um, uh, state governments around the world and from individuals or corporations. It gets most of its money from individuals and corporations, surprisingly, and not from uh, state governments. Right. But I had a look at the last report. For some reason, for the past three years, they've stopped releasing who's been uh, 
given money to them. Interesting. But the last available one was 2017. Uh, there's this guy, I don't know if you heard this guy, Bill Gates, somebody, I don't know, um, I've never heard this guy. Yeah. Anyway, he gave the small sum of 324 million uh, in a single year in 2017. So I just got this report from World Health Organization. I just drilled down, I went, I looked at all the different amounts. Obviously, if, if you add it all up, it's several billion, two, three billion, I think. Um, so I had a look at that and I started looking at the different line items just to see the bigger amounts and see who were these people. So obviously that was, I think, the biggest one was Bill Gates. I then found one called the Gavi Alliance, which is the Vaccine Alliance, which uh, gives money 133 million they gave dollars to World Health Organization in that year. Um, that's the Vaccine Alliance, obviously uh, all about uh, creating vaccines. Founder, Bill Gates. Um, I then found the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, Tuberculosis, and Malaria. They gave $16 million uh, to World Health Organization. Founder, Bill Gates. Okay. I then found National Philanthropic Trust, NPT. Uh, they gave $37 million. This is basically a company that lets uh, rich people donate uh, to funds as a tax saving device. So it's basically... Right shove your money in here okay. the world bank gave 145 million um who's partnered with world bank on numerous initiatives bill gates uh, the cdc foundation you know the cdc centers for disease control in the us okay. yeah uh, they gave uh, millions of dollars as well um population services international gave money uh one of their key partners is bill gates rockefeller foundation yeah uh, Works closely with Bill Gates. Obviously, they've launched new and numerous initiatives in um, in Africa. Um, Rotary gave sixty two million dollars. Uh, who partners with Rotary? Yes, Bill Gates. Uh, so basically, all of the World Health Organization's major funders are basically Bill Gates under different names. It could be the Antichrist. It's like Bill Gates, William Gates. W eight. Oh, yeah, okay. He's got yeah, all Mr. these different Gates. Yeah, yeah, different monikers. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. Okay. So people can find more uh, details of that on one of your uh, podcasts, but they get the point. So the WHO is meant to be a third sector, impartial body, and what have you. Some of their money comes from governments, and is a bit of a tax suck. But fundamentally, it dances to the fiddle of bill gates right so it's not impartial it's not infallible it's said things that were wrong before and one of the most egregious um things i, I don't uh oh, i can't i can't remember the details of that i'd have to come back to you i remember i once read a book that went through some of the ridiculous things that the who had done so but it's certainly not infallible um, it's not. We know well, it's so not impartial. It's, it's not trustworthy. But but yeah. but it has actually contradicted itself. That's one of the things. You know, they said they they've gone back on their own statements and said, right. "Oh no." So so why are they allowed to be the only source of information? It's crazy that people would accept this. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't have the, you know, I don't have the answers. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm just looking at, at what's happening. I say I'm, I'm putting the dots out there. I, I, re I rarely kind of put my neck on the line to try and join them. But I mean, it, it, some of this seems fairly obvious. I mean, all of the companies, you know, as you would expect, they're all vaccine companies, you know, that's where the money yeah. is. That's what Bill Gates is in. And, you know, the World Health Organization declares a pandemic. 
vaccine companies develop a vaccine. Vaccine is mandatory to ex, uh, escape right. from lockdown. You know, they, well, they, they, yeah, what's bound to happen is huge amounts of public funds are going to pay these companies for the vaccines. It's not going to be like you have to pay for your own one. The government's going to give massive handouts to these businesses. Well, yeah, they are, but obviously it's, you know, obviously that, you know, that all, that is all our money as well. I mean, yeah, they, exactly. were, they were trying, they tried to take, um, an organization tried to take the uh, World Health Organization to task in the H1N1 uh, pandemic for ex this exact reason and said, look, you've blown this out of all proportion. It's not a pandemic. You've done this. We've, you know, these companies made billions of dollars from the vaccinations, um, not that many people actually died as a result of it. Um, it's just a, you know, it's a complete scam. And obviously it got squashed because, you know, the, the people that were speaking out about it were tiny little people and the World Health Organization is backed by billionaires and governments. Yeah. Uh, well, for me, it spoke volumes just when, the, when I saw that chap on the, on, I don't know what news channel it was, but it was from the World Health Organization. And they asked to try to ask him about the situation in Taiwan. And he just blanked the question twice, pretended he didn't hear it, and then eventually just pulled the plug in the interview because they were they, they just they just wouldn't recognize that Taiwan even existed. Um, and that, you know, so you just go, who's pulling the strings there? You know, if you're if they're even if the Chinese are not pulling the strings, it just shows that the World Health Organization is loath to upset the Chinese, and that in itself means it's not impartial. It's not uh, impartial. Yeah, yeah, and no, I, I saw exactly the same clip as well. Yeah, it's just, yeah, uh, yeah it's it's crazy. It, it it should open people's eyes, you know, to to what's what could be going on. You know, we're not saying that this is definitely going on, but it's no. not something's not right. Something's you know, we, right. we've got to. Something stinks in Sweden. Well, actually, Sweden's the exception. <laughs> yeah, one of the interesting things about Sweden were when uh, a lot of the deaths that are being reported in Sweden are all in old folks' homes where there's been breakouts where people um, all, die, all basically died in the same premises in close quarters. And if you excluded those from the figures, their, their death count was way, way, way lower. So that's just some more of the funny business that's going on, apart from the different ways that countries are counting the deaths. Um, yeah. Just to touch briefly on this Neil Ferguson fellow, he is not to be um, confused with the excellent classic liberal thinker of our times, Neil Ferguson, who's uh, married to Ayanna I can't, Ayanna Lee, let's call her, I can't. Uh, Ayanna Hershey Ali. Yeah, there you go. You can uh, yeah, pronounce yeah. her middle name. Easy for you to say, my friend. <laughs> you know, the guy um, was telling us what to do and put out a really stupid guideline which wouldn't allow you to drive from one home to another home. I mean, there's some guidelines you could say are fair, fairly sensible. Maybe it wasn't a guideline. Maybe it was a statement of the law. He got sacked from violating his own guideline or he had to. he was forced to resign just as Catherine Calderwood, the chief medical officer, was uh, resigned here in the UK because she told people not to drive to their other home and then drove to her other home. It's like, see if you just don't tell people to do stupid stuff that isn't going to um, increase anyone's risk of contracting the virus, then maybe you will not be struck by your own sword. 
but he who but lives think, by the sword yeah. dies by the sword. And but I think it just underlines what we suspect is the attitude of managerial elites, which is the rules are there only for the little people. Rules are not for the managerial elites themselves. Of course, they're allowed to go to their second home. You know, Boris Johnson yeah. went to Checkers to, to convalesce. That's not exactly around the corner from uh, 10 Downing Street. Um, you know, the, 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 the rules don't apply to them. It's only, you know, the commissars don't have to obey by the rules, only the proletariat. You know, That's and, it. And, and, and Marx yeah. was scared of the class difference between capitalists and workers. But this is just, um, the real fear was the feudalism that we basically have. It's just elected feudalism where our overlords uh, are allowed special exceptions and yeah. uh, to, to their own rules. Well, yeah. he was certainly taking prima nocta, I think, uh, was uh, old uh, Professor Ferguson. He was, uh, he was cutting well, somebody I, else's grass. I saw, <laughs> I did, a, uh, did an episode just today, actually, just before we jumped on this call. Um, you, I cannot stop finding politicians that are breaking their own lockdown right. laws. Like I, I, yeah. fa I found three mayors today. There was a, ma a mayor in, uh, in the US that closed nail salons, said stay at home. She was pictured in a nail salon, getting her nails done. There was another mayor that issued um, a lockdown law saying, stay at home. If you do go out, don't socialize. Um, you know, make sure you're social distancing. He was photographed at a restaurant with friends and family with no masks on, all sitting around just like it's a happy Sunday. You know, there's a guy in Spain who was uh, sacked, a mayor in uh, Catalonia region. He was sacked because he was out driving his car, just doing whatever he wanted, going out for a drink. I mean, all of these guys, you know, this this unending number of these people. And as you say, for me, it's it's a two-fold problem. It's it's as you say, it's that first thing of do as we say, not as we do, which is which is bad enough. But the second thing is, why are they not bothered? You know, I mean, I'm not yeah. bothered. I've done all the research. I could care less. Right. I, don't, I, don't, I know there's very minimal risk in, of me going around. I mean, right. look at it this way. A, a, a uh, professor in Germany, uh, Professor Streak, he went over to a town in Germany that had really high incidence of COVID-19. He went around with his team taking swabs off toilets, toilet seats, handles, door handles, everywhere that you could imagine. He could not grow the virus anyway. He said the only way you're going to get it in public is if somebody coughs or sneezes onto something that then goes in your mouth or if they cough or sneeze directly in your mouth. So if they cough or really? sneeze on a piece of fruit, you literally eat that okay. right then you might get it but um but yeah it's you know what do they know they're not bothered they're not fearful right. you know what i mean they're they're putting out all this message and yet they're just going about their daily business so that again is the second the second sort of point mm. to this that it, yeah. again it just makes you wonder what's actually going on yeah a bit like bill gates to mention them again building seafront property uh, well not building it buying property in florida on the beach He's telling everybody else that we're going to get engulfed in nine-foot waves in a few years' time. Right. He's obviously not worried about it himself. He's invested yeah. that money in it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, what kind of annoys me is whatever the results of this are going to be, people will just come out and say that it was the lockdown that stopped it from being a disaster. When the, the figures yeah. come in, because I've heard people who are supposedly intelligent, like Sam Harris, uh, say things like, Oh, you know, the thing is with these uh, coronavirus uh, people who are skeptical about it, there seems to be no reason and evidence that convince them that blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, 
it was basically the complete opposite of what he was saying, which is there was no evidence that could be presented to Sam Harris, which would oh, make certainly him, no empirical evidence. Yeah, which would make him think that um, the lockdown measures were over um, overzealous. It's like, mm. well, you know, what would we actually have to say to you to get you to check yeah. your opinion? Because the irony completely escaped him and he didn't even he didn't even make an attempt to point out the fact that it was it was the most flagrant thing i thought um listening uh, to his yeah. position was the kind of reversal of reality now one of the and i hear him do that quite a lot it does annoy me because see if see if someone's just an idiot you just accept that they're just an idiot but when someone's like quite sharp and intelligent and has good points on issues when they get things woefully wrong you just want to face pam well one of the more bizarre stories was the president of tanzania uh, john magufuli however you pronounce that mm -hmm. easy for me to tanzania. say tanzania <laughs> tanzania there you go yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's not a bronzing <laughs> salon by the way <laughs> <laughs> he allowed these uh, coronavirus testing kits to be imported into his countries. I don't know which ones. And they yeah. tested non-human samples, including a goat and a pawpaw fruit, whatever the hell that is. And the pawpaw, fruit and yeah. the goat tested positive for coronavirus, which casts a massive doubt on whether these tests are in any way reliable. Yeah. But I think the whole fruit world would be worried now is probably uh, we've got apples and uh, strawberries are probably on lockdown. Mm. But yeah, I think, yeah, he gave them human names, didn't he? He returned the results to the lab and gave them human sounding names. And then he came back and said, oh yeah, they, these have definitely all got COVID-19. So, but yeah, in terms, okay. in terms of the lockdown, um, I mean, the, there's a very sort of vocal and uh, quite kind of um, prominent a uh, guy that's been stepping forward and speaking out about the so-called pandemic, this Professor Vitkowski. So this guy's been working for 30 plus years as an epidemiologist. He's not paid uh, by the government. And he was basically saying, well, look, if you look at the, there was a presidential briefing in the US on the 17th of April, and they showed this graph and it had three peaks on it of uh, hospital admissions uh, this year. There was one in January, there's one in February. Uh, and there was one in uh, March, March the 18th. Uh, the two in January, February, I think, were flu-related. And, and incidentally happened to actually, one of them was a little bit larger than the one in March. The one in March was COVID-19. Uh, and that was the highest the hospital admissions ever got in the US was March the 18th. So you basically said that was the peak of the, that was the peak right there. You know, that's the peak right. of the virus. It's gone down since then. there's been fewer hospital admissions since then. This was their own data again, CDC data. They didn't lock down till like a week after. So right. he's like, it was, it, it was completely pointless. It, you know, the yeah. herd immunity was already been built up yeah. and they, they put us into lockdown and we, you know, yeah. we can't get herd immunity if we're all stuck yeah. at home and, and not seeing each other. So yeah, they're, they're literally locking the door after, after the horse is bolted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Locking the stable door. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I hope that people who are at home, uh, are still getting some exercise and if you know uh, to keep their their mental health in order and if you are scared of the 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 coronavirus spread there is one sport that i particularly recommend during coronavirus and that's fencing i mean you wear a mask 
you wear gloves. And if anyone gets near you, you just stab the fucker. Right? <laughs> Perfect. We're going okay. up. Yeah. So take up fencing. Can, can I just say that on concerning stats, if you th- and, and the how it's going to be after the lockdown, how they're going to make it sound like the, the lockdown was this panacea, it was, it was fantastic. If you the, the manipulating of figures that we know they're doing at the moment, how much better are they going to be able to do that when they've got more time and at their leisure to just sit down and manipulate all the figures and pick and choose and cherry pick what figures they're going to present very professionally to the public? You know, it's it's going to be even worse after. Uh, you know, yeah. so I, you, you can't really. It's unfortunate. Yeah, but, you, you, you're you're forced to try and, well, you're forced to do your own homework and try and come up with some conclusion as to what's really going on. Yeah, you, you, you have cannot to. Yeah. Trust. Yeah. You, you've got to look beyond the headlines. I mean, that's basically what I started doing. I was like, there's something else going on here. I've got to dig a bit deeper. And people have been saying, if you look back to things like the AIDS outbreak and all that, the reporting mm. was like a thousand times better back then. You know, they were reporting yeah. when that person contracted the illness and when they died. We're not getting that now. We're just getting every day. We're getting, oh, there's 500 deaths today. From when? Well, we don't know. Maybe past few weeks, you know, and then, oh, there's a backlog. You know, there's one period in April, a day in April, where they registered like 700 deaths. And they've come from the previous four weeks. Yeah. And they just bumped them in. There's no accountability or, or transparency at all. Do they even know who patient zero was yet? You know, do they even, uh, right. even you know, that, that's probably you, aren't they? <laughs> Probably. Uh, I'm, I'm responsible for most things that go wrong. I have to say, I'm not as worried about COVID-19 or even the lockdown as I am in people's gullibility, right? If, if, it was, if you didn't have to live in a society and we could all just do our own thing, then you wouldn't have to worry about it. But um, as Aristotle pointed out, the unfortunate consequence of not being interested in politics is being ruled by your inferiors. And since uh, we're all subject to the whims of our neighbor, their gullibility is a deep concern to us. Uh, Whereas, you know, it would be nice if we just went, well, you know, you think what you think and that's okay. Yeah, unfortunately they get this thing called a vote. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Shocking. Whose idea was that? Whose idea was that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mike, is there anything either of you two want to cover? Um, I think. Oh, there was one. There was one kind of section that I didn't. I didn't get a chance to go over just real quickly, and that is just this preparedness. You know, they keep. They kept. This is another one of their sort of party line. Oh, this court was totally off guard. Like we just never ever saw this coming, which is complete BS. Like. Even Fauci himself a few years ago was is widely quoted now. He's given a speech and said, um, you know, it's very, very likely uh, that we will see, you know, a surprise pandemic uh, in the next few years. You know, they've been planning for this for a long time. They've had a number of these uh, war games. There's one in, obviously, yeah. the, the event 201 that everybody knows yeah. about. But there's another one in 2001 called Dark Winter where they were preparing for an outbreak. In this case, it was actually a, a bio-attack. Yeah. But the responses, uh, some of the stuff that they were saying was, you know, there is exactly the same talking about penalties for uh, propagating dangerous information, restriction on travel, ga- uh, cancel public gatherings, non-essential meetings of 
people more than 50. All the, and I, I was reading this from like, however many, you know, 19 years ago. I'm thinking, this is the language that they're using now. This is not, yeah. they're not thinking on the feet with this. This is something that they've been, they've had time to prepare for. So this, this whole idea that, oh yeah, we, we just didn't see this coming and it's, it's unprecedented and it's, yeah. they, they had plenty of time and knew what, and they know what they're doing. And that's, I think that's where I'm at on this is that this virus has happened. It's, it's not as bad as they're making out as, as the doctors seem to be saying, it's, it's a bad season of flu, maybe a little bit worse, but I think the tyrannical governments around the world have just rubbed their hands with glee at this. And yeah. just thought, this is it guys. This is the one we've been waiting for. Let's, let's roll it out. Let's roll out the, the privacy. Let's roll out the surveillance. Let's roll out, you know, digital currency and all these yeah. things. And it's, yeah, it's yeah. And uh, what was, go on. What was of interest to me, was, um, I mean, the reaction of a lot of environmentalists um, who have, obviously, because human beings are the real virus, right? Um, they have decided that this has all been very good for the planet. You know, Mother Earth has, has benefited greatly from this. So although this lockdown has been unprecedented, it has set a precedent. And now, any time in the future, should the government decide we all have to be locked up again for our own good, or what could be more beneficial than locking us up for the good of the planet? You know, let's uh, stop killing Mother Earth, so stay in your houses until further notice. Um, that, that's, a, that's a big concern, I think, for the future. And that's not just, you could say, well, that's okay, that's just the greenos. Uh, you know, they, they probably won't get into power. But no, there's, there's, there's environmentalists of all political hues, you know, they're in the, the Conservative Party. David Cameron was famously, you know, very pro-green um, and pro-greenwash. And I think that this, this could be rolled out again at the drop of a hat, not just for the coronavirus, you know, that, that, that seems reasonable that that could happen, but for any given thing that they deem to be a threat to the public or to national security. Yeah, I think... I think it's inevitable that they're going to use it, as you say, for coronavirus multiple times. I mean, Edward Snowden, yeah. he was interviewed on Vice and he was saying, you know, what, what's going to happen? When are you going to stand up? Is it going to be, you know, lockdown five, lockdown 55? Lock, you know, he said his, his quote was, they are building the architecture of oppression. You know, yeah. that, that's, that's what they're that's doing right now. They've had it. all this stuff lined up and they've now got the perfect excuse the you know the the right amount of fear the right amount of media exposure around the world and they're just thinking yeah. this is the perfect time to roll this out yeah. obviously when perfect they're hobgoblin yeah. Yes. yeah when they get the resistance you know they're obviously they're facing resistance now in the u.s and it's it you know i won't say it's kicking off but there's certainly you know people are starting to fight back a little bit then maybe they will ease it off until yeah. you know winter and hey ho guess what another you know a second wave comes along or whatever which again going back to that professor Vitkowski would not have happened with with lockdown you know if we just left us to be isolate the vulnerable the immunocompromised and the elderly everyone else go about their business there wouldn't be a second wave but now yeah. because of the lockdown there will be a second wave absolutely so yeah, if you didn't want to like um shut everything down and make everyone poor I, I don't think we we really know the extent that this is going to impoverish people yet it's going to take months to see what the domino effects are if if you were to argue for the government to do something it would be like make sure those vulnerable people who choose to stay at home get food delivered to their house or get someone to come out to help them with any of their needs you know that yeah. would be the you know compassionate status position now and you don't see these... stand in the way of private companies who are willing to produce testing kits 
and you know yeah. PPE at a fraction of the cost. But no, you can't really start doing that. You have to go through all the all the channels. Yeah, yeah. To take yeah. you two years before you can even produce a kit. And some of those like gullible lefties that I was talking about before, who I've seen on Facebook drawn on aimlessly at how evil the Conservative Party are, are coming out to say, um, well, you know, we should just institute a UBI to stop this kind of thing happening again, universal basic income. And it, it, what I wonder at is it's how, how bribable people are. I don't really wonder at it, but it's, it's one, how gullible people are, two, how bribable people are, because as far as I'm concerned, now more than ever, right, I, the UBI is part of this architecture of oppression. Everyone thinks it's going to li liberate them. But you just wait till the government says, well, you know, you're posting subversive stuff on Facebook, so we're going to take away your UBI. We're going to... Yeah. Um, if you don't sort out your recycling, you'll take out your UBI. And it'll start with things like people flicking their cigarette butts or littering, or they get, instead of getting a fine, they just get their UBI docked. And people goes, yeah, and a good thing too. I mean, society's furnishing you with a UBI and you go and th throw your cigarette butt on the street. But that's just the door. And one of the reasons why I um, revised my book, Universal Basic Income For and Against, in 2020 was to add an extra essay on that idea of um, how the UBI is not a utopia. It's, it's the basis of a science fiction novel, an episode of Black Mirror, where the government uses it to bribe and blackmail and influence people into doing what the, what the, what the elite yeah. decides. And now after seeing it being advocated under the pretense of this, I'm more convinced than ever that that point about the tyranny yeah. of the UBI is and, and the And it's is not the, science the fiction it. because it's already a reality in China, you know, right. the social credit right. system is a reality. Yeah. It's it just only more, takes the will, yeah. Yeah, it's just oh, yeah. more dependent, it's more dependence on government. I mean, that's, yeah. that's one of the things you've got to, you have to think that that's part of what they're doing here. You know, everybody's kind of bowing down to government. We're doing what you're saying. Uh, we're following your actions and we're kind of, you know, they've got us in the palm of their hand now. I mean, obviously not present company excluded, but you know, most people are like, yeah, we've got to do what they say and I can only get out. I can only work when they tell me it's, it's, it's sinister. You know, it is, it's that yeah. move towards, more tyranny basically more control and more tyranny as people hand over willingly their their liberty and their freedom and their their you know their decisions yeah. to to a higher power you know to to government so I, I, can, I think i can handle the more tyranny and the more oppression i don't think i could handle any more uh, dancing nurses on TikTok. <laughs> the tiktok nurses <laughs> right well uh, it, it would and be fun I, I on that be, subversive note. <laughs> yeah. I would be fine to let the society take the course that it's going if there was an alternative planet B that we could all just escape to and live the way that we want. Sadly, that's not the case. Michael Cheney, thank you so much for joining us on the Scottish Liberty Podcast. Tell people where they can find you. Uh, the best to go over to plandemic.tv. Plandemic.tv. I've got all the videos 
all my episodes on there and, and videos that get banned from YouTube. I also grab them and put them on there all to do obviously with the coronavirus. And you also started a website called Corona Truth. Uh, yeah, I started a Corona Truth website. That was the first iteration of it. So I wrote okay. a report and what I was finding is it was so hard to keep updating it every day with all the new stuff that was coming out. So I just switched over to video format. So that's where I right. got the, the pandemic.tv. So I'm just doing videos now, taking all the content and put it into videos instead. And finally, they can, of course, find the Michael Cheney Show on iTunes or whatever their usual podcasting app is. Thanks very much, guys. Until next week. All right. Take care. Take care. Thanks, Michael.